Hey, Tall Skulls. We're just going to jump in real quick with a bit of timely news for you before we dive into the episode. So I don't know how much you guys follow Jethro Tull news. We may be your only source for news, so that's why we're here. But Ian Anderson has had a bit of a reveal of some health issues that he's been having. That's right. And as it is our primary duty to talk tall to you, there is every reason why we should chat about this. So in a, an interview with Dan Rather, Ian Anderson revealed, quote, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody in public before. Since it's you, I will take this moment to say I am suffering from an incurable lung disease with which I was diagnosed a couple of years back. Ian Anderson was referring to a condition called COPD, which he apparently has been suffering from over the last number of years, and he has months at a time where it affects him more more severely. It is a condition of the lungs, and he cites his 50 years of exposure to fog machines as the probable cause. For those of you who don't work in entertainment, fog machines, also called hazers, use a, a fluid which is vaporized into a suspended particle f- smoke. It's made using mineral oil, and while they say that small levels of inhalation are safe, and there are ways of testing those levels in, in theaters at least, prolonged exposure can cause lung damage, and it seems like this is what's happened to our dear friend Ian Anderson. Yeah, when you, when you tore as much as he does every single year for the last 50 years, that adds up. Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what COPD actually is? Yeah, definitely. COPD stands for Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease, and it's a chronic inflammatory lung disease that causes obstructed airflow from the lungs. It basically, it's, it's basically full-time asthma, essentially. It, uh, it includes breathing difficulty, cough, mucus production, and wheezing. And it's typically caused by, again, long-term exposure to irritating gases or particulate matter. Right. Most often, you're going to see it from people who, particularly from two generations ago when, like, when when OSHA wasn't really around and, and hounding things, like construction workers who have been breathing in silica dust or heavy smokers, things like that. Yes. So people with COPD... They have an increased risk of developing heart disease, lung cancer, and a variety of other conditions. And Ian has said that he he regularly struggles with bronchitis because of this. And I believe he has said in the past that he also has asthma. So kind of all of these things mixed together. It's it's the perfect example of of how this stuff can escalate very quickly. Now, lest we worry ourselves sick with this news, it's worth noting that Ian has said he's not going to keel over anytime soon. He's been he's been uh, 18 months without a serious exacerbation, as they call it, and he is currently in quarantine during the current epidemic pandemic, in isolation at his home in Southwest England, where he's surrounded by 40,000 hardwood trees he planted himself because. Of course he did. What better way to get the purest oxygen ever? Yes. Be sure to check the episode notes. I've got some info on COPD there, a link to some info from the Mayo Clinic, and two Rolling Stone articles that we're citing here for, for this information that, that 
that Ian put out. And uh, just to leave you with a little quote from the Dan Rather interview regarding the current pandemic, Ian says, This is the time for reflection. I think people should invest in understanding and learning to handle the truth. And the truth is not pretty. But in a way, you know, I am an eternal optimist. I think we will get through this, but I hope... We've learned something, some positive lessons along the way that a year or two or two years from now, we'll look back on this and say, hey, you know, let's continue to curb our relentless consumption of resources. Yeah, he's, he's been a, a, a big vocal advocate of that for a while now. And uh, I can second that. So, Mr. Anderson, thank you for your honesty with your condition. We wish you all the health. Mm hmm. Yep. It's it's not a death sentence. He, ju he may actually have to st stop performing, though. He's 72 now. That's right. Yeah. So so it's not it's not the the end all be all but but it's it's a reality of uh for for people exposed to this kind of stuff. That's right. So send warm wishes his way which he will fight off when he sees them coming. <laughs> but and, if you're persistent and enough he'll get, get tired. Some <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And without further ado, Nick, let us move on to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, enjoy this last episode of Thick as a Brick. Ooh, talk tell to you later. Ladies and gentlemen, debate putting on trousers, reschedule your big outing to the mailbox, and consider whether petting your cat counts as exercise. Because it's time to talk tell to me. I heard on on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me this weekend that Walmart is showing sales of shirts have skyrocketed and sales of pants have dropped drastically. <laughs> sounds about right. It's a sign of the times. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. An armchair voyage through the couch cushions of the collected works of Jethro Tull. Every popcorn kernel a song, every dust bunny an album, until we have cleaned the entire living room of prog rock. <laughs> Get rid of that nasty prog rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Omen. Yes, Nick? It is, it is a pretty big week this week, isn't it? That's right. Every voyage must come to an end, and thusly, the mini-voyage that we've been on through the album of Thick as a Brick is now reaching the other side of the ocean today. We are, we're pulling back into port, and right. the best part about a voyage ending is it provides a new opportunity for another voyage. Oh, I thought you were going else. to say to go to the bar. To, I mean, if it's a good enough ship, it'll have alcohol on it, right? <laughs> That's true. So, Nick, without any further ado, why don't we haul the sheets and drop the anchor in this last little bit of Thick as a Brick? I think we ought to. This is the final three minutes off of side B. It is the last three minutes of the entire album. It is simply known as the Childhood Heroes Reprise. Let's have a listen. Let's have a listen. 
So, Omen. Oh, Nick. Omen, nothing we have technically not heard before. Yeah, it's a it's a wrap up. It's almost it, it, it's really harkening back to kind of some of the the classical traditions that we have mentioned once or twice on this podcast, because it really is a a sum up, a quick review of almost all of the musical themes that we've heard throughout the whole album. Yeah, it's an overture. Or I would even venture so far as to say. A reprise. An underture. <laughs> What's underture? <laughs> my f- my feet are under mature right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a reprise, but done in such a delightful and delicate and unexpected way. Of course, we have the, the flute and the organ mm-hmm. volleying that theme back and forth in the in the first little bit there. And then it drops into the 4-4 march, which has taken on a new sense of victory, maybe just because of the emotional state of the listener, because we've now gotten all the way to the end of the album. <laughs> I've made it, and I'm alive. Yeah. And then it really, fairly quickly, you know, in, in just about two minutes or less, knocks through all of the major themes that we've heard, and it, it's it's like a, in... On a in a Broadway show, what you would call the mega mix, hmm. okay. like at the end at the end of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, one of my one of the musicals that I have seen. <laughs> There's the I wasn't expecting that as to be the descriptor for for that musical. It truly is a musical written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. It it truly is a musical that I have seen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there's, but you know, there's a tradition of this within within music, but uh, this is just such a great example of it. And there are some really beautiful moments. That moment when we have the D Palmer strings, oh, my gorgeously goodness. arranged. Oh my goodness! Ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum. And they they come in in between those. They get spliced into that really hectic sound, and it's just, oh, oh, Deep Palmer. In such a way that you might say that it's arbitrary, but it's totally not. It really, it plays with your emotions like like an old fisherman plays with a a, a cod. (laughs) Like an old fisherman plays with my emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... Captain Danny, (laughs) won't you ever call? It's been so long. I don't need, I don't, at this point, I don't need to gush anymore about the strings, but yeah, it really, if it just, just chugged through with that really fast pace, you, you'd you be missing something. You, there, there wouldn't be that light, that flowing airiness is, is a note back to earlier in the album itself. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's nice 
because it really does tie in with the, the, the dichotomy that we've seen, the, the kind of juxtaposition and things swapping back and forth quickly and unexpectedly. Yes, exactly. You know what, Nick? I'm surprised that Thick as a Brick hasn't been turned into a musical. I, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. I don't remember what inspired it, but, I mean, they turned Tommy into a musical. Sure. They, they haven't turned any Zeppelin into a musical, but there have been rock musicals in the past. So it's, yeah. it's certainly rock not of unheard ages. of. Bob Dylan has a musical. Yep. Yeah, Rock of Ages is just like a collective, though, right? It's, That's it's true. A, yeah. But We Will Rock You is all the music of Queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... I think Mamma Mia. What's the story here, though? Well, that's for the that's for the musical writers. <laughs> Maybe that's why it hasn't been written, you know? What's the plot of Mamma Mia? It doesn't have a plot. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> no, I could actually tell you and I'm not not proud of it. <laughs> in in general, they try to they basically hammer square songs into the the the, the round square square peg mm. songs into mm-hmm. the round holes of plot device, basically. That's a good way of describing it, yeah. Yeah. So, Nick, the other fun thing that we have are some of Ian Anderson's classic vocalizations. My, there's the, my favorite, my second favorite thing that he does, which is at the very end, the last line, mm-hmm. and your wise men don't know how it feels to be thick huh, as a brick. He does that little that, chuckle. Oh, that little snarky laugh. Yep. To be thick as a brick. It's so delightful. It's perfect. It's such a great way to end this song. What is your first? My first favorite thing that Ian Anderson does is in this last this last is section, when he tickles the back of my knees. Is when oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> is when he makes means. he makes the sound similar to what happens if you step accidentally on the tail of a cat. Mm, he sort of mm-hmm. goes <laughs> It's just so fun, and it's just such a weird expression of his individual, of his strange individuality, and and that's why we love him, isn't it? It really, it really makes the the narrator, the 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 singer, whatever you want to call it, the person presenting the song. It, it really gives them a human side, which is funny because it's such an inhuman noise. Oh, I thought you were talking about the laugh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that too. No, that does, yes. I was referring to the weird chirp noise that he makes. Yeah. And you know, Nick, this might be the Labatt Blue talking, but I just adore... I really want to drive a truck right now. <laughs> I just adore the the strings in this last section. I really think that's some of Wait a second. best work. Wait a second. I have gushed about these strings for months on end at this point, and I have not had a drop of Labatt Blue in my system. You know what they say? In my entire life. Dem, dem flutes these strings. I'm not sure who says that, but they should reconsider. <laughs> I just think that it's really... It's, it is so delicate that it is effervescent. Yeah, it's it's a lot like what you mentioned last episode in terms of the 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 loud end of the spectrum being so powerful because 
there are really soft, sweet sides as well that get built up between the really slow parts and then Barrymore comes in with the timpani and just really rocks the hell out of it. I think that's, that's the right. same thing here, but it's 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 more concentrated even because it's so fast yeah, and so exactly. powerful. And those strings are just, it's not just soft, quiet playing. It's the beauty of these strings. I love these strings. I, I love I love that flute. I love them drums. I think that this is the, the sort of thing, the thing that we're talking about right now, Nick, mm-hmm. is the sort of thing which really sets Jethro Tull apart from Aerosmith, for instance, or Ozzy Osbourne, or um, Metallica. I don't know Metallica that well, so I, I can't really say. It's probably safe to assume. There are so many rock and rollers who are who make use of loud, to use an Italian mm-hmm. phrase. <laughs> and... And then, you know, then we have Led Zeppelin, who, you know, uses some dynamics, but it's usually like sure. soft. So we can get loud. Yeah. Volume just for emphasis. Right. And volume being a one-way street. Okay. But with Jethro Tull, there's really a clear sense of dynamics in in a very, in a sort of post-romantic classical usage. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like Ravel or or Chopin. You know, there are moments which shock you, and then and then drop away, and it's so fast that you even wonder if you heard it correctly. Yeah, classically constructed, classically constructed, brewed with modern technology, drunk in space. I'm. I don't. I didn't follow any of that. Even the part that I added, I didn't follow any of that. <laughs> So the lyrics in this portion, I think, because it is there, literally nothing has been added lyrically here. It's it's just recapping. It's just stuff that we've heard before. The lyrics are the vehicle to the instrumentation, to the music. Mm. They're there to, to break up these different portions that we're hearing musically. If we were to hear the last three minutes of this album as just instrumental, I don't think it would be nearly as effective, even though the lyrics don't add anything. Does that make sense? It does. And and yet, you know, he could have chosen any lyrics to end with, but he choose, he chooses these. So I okay. feel like it is significant. It's not just completely arbitrary. Okay, fair enough. And especially the the very the very last lines. That, yeah, definitely. So you ride yourself over the fields, and you make all your animal deals, and your wise men don't know how it feels to be thick as a brick. Why has Mr. Anderson chosen that section to end with, do you think? I think that it's... I think that it's a little more than just a reprise. I mean, thematically and musically, yes, it's a reprise, but in terms of... Like you said, choosing these lyrics for a specific reason, 
I think despite the fact that in the last episode, that last track, there was everything kind of culminated and we had our Ian Ex Machina to to solve the problem, as it were. Right. I despite all that having happened, we still end up back here where mm-hmm. People are still going to worship the childhood heroes. People are still going to look to their local government, look to the sportsmen and biggles. Yeah. The sort of childhood fantasies. It will all continue to be cyclical. And whether it's actual warriors from the 1600s riding into battle over a field or businessmen meeting over a long mahogany table to make deals and buy out Disney or whatever. Like the little piggies that they are. Like the little piggies that they are. It it doesn't matter what iteration it takes. This will continue to happen. There will always be a wise man. There will always be a fool, a father, a son, a poet, a soldier. Right, a right. They're, arch- they're archetypal. Yeah. Yeah, even and 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 when when that back going back to to last week's episode when that culmination ends when you meet the end of the circle you start again and that's what this track is is we're starting right from the beginning because these are some of the earliest lyrics that we saw that's right as well now Nick do you think that it's possible that you know, so we've had this juxtaposition of the wise man and the fool and, you know, the the complete separation from society because you're too good for it of the wise man versus the thick as a brickness. But also, do you think that this whole journey that we've been on, to a certain extent, is about the experience of life itself and how the only way to appreciate what life is, is to go through it and to make all these mistakes and to be to be inadvisably involved with all of it to to be as it were thick as a brick is that perhaps the message of this final line that that if you consider yourself so above it or so wise you won't know how it feels to be thick as a brick to be alive hmm is the condition of life itself being thick as a brick Truly being alive is dependent upon ignorance. Or mistakes, at least. Sure, learning learning from that, yeah. Or experiencing it. That is... That is a... You're getting dangerously positive for, <laughs> for an Ian Anderson piece. Yeah. But I like it. I don't, I don't hate it. I, I feel like that adds a lot more value than if we were just to say, oh, and we're starting over again, and this is just a recap of everything. This is the the closing paragraph of of Ian Anderson's doctoral thesis that is thick as a brick. Yeah. I th- now, I of think course, adding that adding that meaning to it adds a lot more value to the piece overall. But of course, it's possible that we're just being. We're falling into the trap laid for us by Ian Anderson, which is that the album is, of course, completely bereft of meaning and 
the joke of it all is to make people sit around in their sound booths and philosophize about what it all means when in fact it doesn't mean anything. I think in this case, I think you're I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is the talk tall to me equivalent of Schrodinger's cat. It's Anderson's brick. That <laughs> if we think about it as being deep, it will be deep. But if we just take it as what it was originally billed as, which is a tongue-in-cheek, great, big, epic joke, then that's what it is. You're saying that the brick has width and thickness and dimension, but as soon as you measure it using any system, you'll get the wrong measurement? Everybody has their own measurement system when it comes to measuring this brick. Right, and they're all wrong. And they're all wrong. Because the act of measuring it makes it makes it impossible to measure just just by acknowledging that it needs to be measured makes it wrong and because it's in the same box as the cat the cat will scratch you if you try to measure it and the brick is now radioactive so <coughs> wear protective protective gear now there's a third scenario that i'd like to to float here please i'm okay. i'm greatly intrigued so the scholarly the scholarly analysis of thick as a brick, of which there is a perhaps surprising amount beyond what we've done over the last eight months or eight I weeks rather. I, it feels like eight months, doesn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, so there's two, there are two basic theories. One is that it's all a big joke, and Ian mm. was just making fun of all the concept albums and and quote unquote deep thoughts of the rock and rollers at the time it was the ultimate troll yes exactly yeah. and then the other side of it is oh well he really did sort of mean there to be some deep meaning and and then tried to pass it off as a joke to to obscure it yeah i wonder if of i wonder if the answer is that both of those things are true and perhaps neither of them are true in the sense that Ian Anderson is such an intelligent person and so so nuanced in his usage of language and his composition of, of thoughts that him sitting down to kind of free write a bunch of nonsense actually turned on a part of his brain that was dealing with profound thought. And so he wrote what he intended to be a massive joke, but accidentally... Hmm revealed sort of a lot of fascinating philosophical concepts he 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 subconsciously made it much more layered than he intended because he as ian anderson physically could not write drivel like his he body rejected exactly. the <laughs> i i kind of like that theory i, I don't he sat down that. in the hotel and he was like I'm going to write something that doesn't make any sense at all. And then he blacked out. And he woke up six hours later with this, this amazing writing. <laughs> For miles around, a bright light was, sh was, was coming from the, the Holiday Inn in Baltimore. Every, every scrap of toilet paper had text on it. He wrote all over the walls. Every bed sheet was covered <laughs> right. in, in pen. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he got he got a bill for 60 prime rib steaks from room service because he he ate a lot of steaks. That's what I'm saying. 
And when it comes to like rock and roll celebrities trashing hotel rooms, a lot worse has been done. So, I mean, yeah, he actually cleaned his room. Yeah, he 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 pulled all the wallpaper off because he needed it. <laughs> that's right. that's where that's the right. original lyrics came from. Yeah. I mean, I who knows? The the the, the I think yeah. the, the wonderful thing about about Jethro Tull and and Ian Anderson and the reason that we really the reason that we wanted to start this podcast you and I Nick besides that it gave us a reason to hang out is because mm-hmm. it it really it's also enigmatic. I mean, there are songs yeah. and pieces of the work that are more accessible, but I think that what draws a lot of people to this work is that you can you can think in circles around it for days and days and days, yeah, and and never really uncover what is the the mysterious kernel at the center. That's that's the thing about Tull, and and you know. Honestly, probably the uh, about a lot of other bands too. If we were to, if this was Chat Carbon Leaf to me, or Mumble Murder by Death to me, or or any of those, mm-hmm. and anything else that you want to talk about, Laugh Ludo to me. All fantastic bands, by the way. Everybody, look them up. Never heard of any of them. You're all the less cultured for it. Oh, no. unless we're talking about like locomotive breath or something where he has come, he's come out and blatantly said, this is what this song is about. This is the meaning, yeah. etc." All of tall or 99% of the catalog of tall is really speculative, especially this earlier stuff when it's really poetic and it's really, a lot of it's en- enigmatic even. Yeah. But it just so happens that this is that, this is that shining gem in the treasure pile that keeps catching our eye because of the mystery behind it, because of the fact that it is that great big piece. This meaning thick as a brick? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thick as a brick yeah. as a whole, because it, it is all one song. It is written to be the mother of all concept albums, et cetera, et cetera. That, those, those additional aspects make it that much more intriguing to try to decipher. And and, yeah. and I think and Ian, I don't... Ian played with that. Ian knew that right from yeah. the start and he he knew he could play with that. He knew he could take advantage of that. 40 years ago he knew that you and I were going to be talking about this. Yikes. Yeah, he is prescient. <laughs> you know, there are there are literal scholars who who write about the work of Bob Dylan because he's such a Sure. Such an such a poet. And I think that I I would like to start a petition that every university begin a Jethro Tull department. I mean we can start with one university, right? I mean we don't have to go Fine. It's not Cambridge. All or nothing. I'm talking to you. Please start a Is there one in, start a Jethro in Tull department? Scotland? That would be good. That would be a good only in only in Dunfermline, 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 Dunfermline. Do you know where the emphasis goes? Yeah, I in Wales, I think (laughs) it's all the way over there. Yeah. (laughs) So, Omen, I think I think that's a good a good wrap up for this this track as an individual piece. Yes. Let's let's 
I think more than any other album, I think this warrants kind of a, a recap, a, a, an assessment, because it is all meant to be taken as a single unit. Yes. You know what I'm reminded of suddenly, Nick? When in seventh grade you lit a bale of hay on fire and lost both of your eyebrows? I told you that story in confidence, and... I'm, I'm so sorry. I will we'll not... We'll talk about it later. I will not be editing this out. It reminds me a little bit of the works of your friend and mine, Ovid, the Roman poet. Mm. Because he sort of also wrote the Metamorphoses a bit as a joke. He was... Hmm. He was... Um, he starts off by saying, I sat down to write an epic poem with this certain meter with you know with 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 3 feet cuz that's how they measured their their epic poems epic poetry was written in a in a certain format okay and he goes on to say but as i wrote cupid came down with dagger drawn and chopped off part of my second line m- making hmm. it changing changing the meter and making it changing it into the the meter used for romantic and humor poetry. Interesting. Okay. So so that's how he starts and then he goes he goes and writes basically the history of the entire world. He rewrites the Aeneid and the Odyssey, I think. Yeah, the Odyssey and the Aeneid, but all from this sort of humoristic romantic sexualized perspective. And the whole thing is very much poking fun at everything that's come before him, at, at civilization and existence itself. And yet he brings new meaning to it all. He also has the, the writing style where one story will lead into another, will lead into another, will lead into another. So it's very difficult to separate them out. Hmm. And that's a little bit what I'm feeling from Thick as a Brick as a whole, that Ian Anderson, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sat down to write this massive concept album. Right. Oops, but it ended and up ended, as big... And ended up with Thick as a Brick instead, essentially. Right. But like huh. Ovid, you know, Ovid's like, oh, yeah, I just sort of tossed this thing off. And we're all, and now, you know, for thousands of years, people are going to study that work as one of the great pieces of literature. I think that Ian Anderson sort of whoopsie daisies accidentally you know, created this incredible rock album that's going to be in in the public consciousness for eons to come. For eons to come. Well it's a great way a lot a lot like we've we've speculated about Thick as a Brick, it's a great way to hedge your bets and say, well if this turns out to be crap, it turns out to be crap because Cupid, blah blah blah. Hashtag because Cupid that no one will take it Seriously, because you you started out saying, "Well, sorry, it, it, I really wanted to, but turns out my muses had other plans." Essentially, right, right. And what what I'm taking away from this now is that that Ovid had some very original satire, and mm-hmm. and was the original the his Metamorphoses were the original Prague album. Yeah, he's often called the the Ian Anderson of classical literature, the the progenitor of Prague, the Prague genitor. <laughs>
So this album, I a lot and a, a, pretty much like every other Tall album we've done thus far, and I, I imagine the trend will continue. I've gotten such a better appreciation after we've we've broken down the pieces, particularly yes. this album. It's unless you you take a really scholarly aspect of sitting down and listening and reading the lyrics and paying a lot of attention, probably something significantly easier to do 40 years ago when the album came out. I I I now understand it for what it was supposedly for what it was meant to be. I now appreciate it more musically and lyrically altogether as a piece, as opposed to just listening to it when I when I want to listen to Thick as a Brick, I'll listen to Thick as a Brick. It I, I never quite understood the entirety of what was going on, and therefore I don't I never really got it. And that's why, starting next week, we are going back to the beginning of Thick as a Brick and doing every section again. It, pretty darn close, because starting next week is Passion Play. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Yeah. And there, there's, there's fabled stories behind Passion Play, too, which is going to be very exciting. But we are wrapping up Thick as a Brick currently. Mm. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely appreciate... Thick as a brick as a whole more, but I also I I also really kind of appreciate those separate pieces as well. Yes, I I found myself because I edited last week's episode today. Yeah, or last evening rather, I found myself whistling that part all day today. I couldn't get it out of my head. It really stuck. Even just musically, simply musically, it is. It's an earworm, and it really sticks with me. Yeah. And I like this album significantly more than I did going in. I mean, this this album really is an oeuvre. Is that just a work? A, a work? Yeah, but it, but it's in a different yeah. language, so it means it's, like, super cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not to get way far ahead of us because... Yeah. Wait for it. In... It, it's not until, where did it go? It's not until the the start of 2022 that we're going to get into A. But I'm kind of looking forward to A because I know I've given a lot of crap to A. Yes, yes. But But I'm looking forward to diving into those individual pieces and looking at that album in a much more scholarly, contemplative way. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the brilliant thing with uh, the works of Jethro Tull, Nick, is that, you know, it's like your backyard. You might look at it and think, hmm, what a mess. But in every square foot, there are more bacterium than there are human beings on the planet. Bacterium is singular. Bacteria is plural. There so are more bac bacteriolites. <laughs> isn't that isn't that a part of an emergency? Isn't that uh, like... or or as or I like to call them little guys. <laughs> so many little guys out there in the yard. Yeah. Well, Nick, I have nothing else to say about this album. As a whole, I... nothing. You got nothing. No recap. No nothing. 
I don't. And the thing is, you know, Nick, if you and I were stranded on on a on a, a tiny planet like like the little prince, if we were two two little princes, Nick, on a I don't speak a, French. On a little well, we have plenty of time for you to learn. We could talk about this album until we were old old people and still never really get to the bottom of it. And therefore, I think the most delicious aspect of this album is the mystery itself. Where did it come from? Where will it go? Where did it come from? Cotton-eyed Joe. Nick-eyed Joe. <laughs> I've been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? I've been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Then I think we're best off just leaving it, leaving it here. We can always come back to it for our appreciation of it. I think you're right. I just, I have, I have one more question. Go on. Do you think that the creation of this album, for lack of a better term, did something like flipped a switch or or was some sort of some sort of monumental moment for Ian Anderson slash Jethro Tull? Did this did this release the water of the dam? of creativity and really branching out there in terms of unique sound for tall. I would say that the big thing that the, that the creation of this album did for tall was to stretch their boundaries as musicians, both in terms of technique and composition. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that the individual sounds that we've heard from this album are, are are that much of a quantum leap ahead of anything else that we've heard. We've sort of heard elements of it in all in various songs past. Sure. But I think that the the process of learning, composing, creating and learning a piece of music, a single piece of music that is 45 minutes long and being able to play that live in concert, which they did sometimes. Yeah. A little bit. They didn't they never played the whole thing a whole lot. I don't think that tour lasted all that long before they no. changed it up. But I think that the the effort of doing that broadened their horizons as a band mm -hmm. and made made them as musicians realize that they had capabilities that they weren't previously aware of. Yeah. That's that is my answer to your question. I th yeah, I think I think Thick as a Brick is kind of a touchstone for Tull to really branch out and become become more tall. I think. I think if they hadn't tried this pretty, pretty massive undertaking, I don't think we would have had something like songs from the wood or, or even right. War Child. You know, I think it removed for them all the perceptions of boundaries of of having to fit in to a certain sound or of what they could do as a group. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think. We ought to be really grateful for, for Thick as a Brick, and I, I certainly am. I am as well. Nick, one question for you. Yes. If, if Thick as a Brick was a sausage, what type of a sausage would it be? Oh, gosh. I you think... You have 30 seconds. A venison sausage mm -hmm. with anise and dill. Mm. 
Yes. And maybe a little basil in there just as an undertone. I know it would be overpowered with the anise and dill, right. but I think it would add a nice sweetness to it, a nice right. gaminess. And it would have to be like wood grilled. You get a nice smoky flavor off of it. I think you'd yeah. lose a lot in the frying pan. Yeah. Nick? Yeah. You are correct. <laughs> yes. I have that written down on my index card, word yeah. for word. Well done. <laughs> So you ride yourselves over the fields And you make all your animal deals And your wise men don't know how it feels To be thick as a brick So, next week, Nick, what are we getting into? Oh, man, next week we have... The first of five individual tracks that we have set out for a passion play. It is the first nine minutes of passion play. It is broken out into a track referred to as Ronnie Pilgrim's Funeral, A Winter's Morning in the Cemetery. Great. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited. I can't I can't wait. I'm excited to get into another big concept album Mm -hmm. from Jethro Tull. I'm going to reprise my usual plea from from the previous weeks and mm. ask you to give us a review and five stars, if you don't mind. It would help us get higher on the British and American and whatever country you're from charts, and more people will hear about us. Maybe we'll spread the love that is Jethro Tull for a new age. People got nothing else to do. They need to find new podcasts. And everybody is now, as if there weren't a glut of podcasts prior to the COVID-19 thing, now everybody's making podcasts. Yes. So you got to get us out there so other people can learn about us. Because we're super niche, but we're fun. We're a good time. Eh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, So thank you again for listening to us. And while you wait for us next week, go back and listen to the rest of the catalog again, just for giggles. And I am Nick McGill. I am still Omen Said. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. So, Omen, now that we've recapped, now that we've recapped Thick as a Brick, I think we should probably recap other things in our lives. Mm, okay. What was, give me like a sentence, 10 words tops about your, your wood carving experience now. Things I do in the evening. That's one word. You don't have to break it up by syllable. <laughs> while I drink. Okay. Tell me about tell me about feeding your child. Ten words or less. He eats surprisingly well for a three-year-old. That's it. You're done. That was nine. Yeah, I, I got nothing else. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Great. My turn. What is it like to have a cat for the first time in your life? I th- oh no, you kind of had cats growing up. Never mind. I take it back. No, no. First time in a while. First time in a while. What's it like having a cat? Hair is on 
everything I Correct. own. Yep. Oh my God, poop. <laughs> yeah, that is accurate. That's an assessment for anyone yeah. owning cats. Yeah. All right, Nick, 10 words or less. What is Talk Tall to Me a proud member of? It is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio. Oh, shit, I ran out of room. Network. <laughs>